This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Swiss Family Robinson by Johann David Wyss. Chapter 21 After our return to Falcon's Nest, I requested my sons to continue their exercises in gymnastics. I wished to develop all the vigor and energy that nature had given them, and which, in our situation, were especially necessary. I added to archery, racing, leaping, wrestling, and climbing trees, either by the trunks or by a rope suspended from the branches as sailors climb. I next taught them to use the lasso, a powerful weapon, by aid of which the people of South America capture savage animals. I fixed two balls of lead to the end of a cord of about a fathom in length. The Patagonians, I told them, use this weapon with wonderful dexterity. Having no leaden balls, they attach a heavy stone to each end of a cord about thirty yards long. If they wish to capture an animal, they hurl one of the stones at it with singular address. By the peculiar art with which the ball is thrown, the rope makes a turn or two around the neck of the animal, which remains entangled without the power of escaping. In order to show the power of this weapon, I took aim at the trunk of a tree which they pointed out. My throw was quite successful. The end of the rope passed two or three times round the trunk of the tree, and remained firmly fixed to it. If the tree had been the neck of a tiger, I should have been absolute master of it. This experiment decided them all to learn the use of the lasso. Fritz was soon skilful in throwing it, and I encouraged the rest to persevere in acquiring the same facility, as the weapon might be invaluable to us when our ammunition failed. The next morning I saw, on looking out, that the sea was too much agitated for any expedition in the boats. I therefore turned to some home employments. We looked over our stores for winter provision. My wife showed me a cask of ortolans she had preserved in butter, and a quantity of loaves of cassava bread, carefully prepared. She pointed out that the pigeons had built in the tree, and were sitting on their eggs. We then looked over the young fruit trees brought from Europe, and my sons and I immediately laid out a piece of ground, and planted them. The day passed in these employments and as we had lived only on potatoes, cassava bread, and milk for this day, we determined to go off next morning in pursuit of game to recruit our larder. At dawn of day we all started, including little Francis and his mother, who wished to take this opportunity of seeing a little more of the country. My sons and I took our arms, I harnessed the ass to the sledge, which contained our provision for the day, and was destined to bring back the products of the chase. Turk, accoutred in his coat of mail, formed the advance guard. My sons followed with their guns, then came my wife with Francis leading the ass, and at a little distance I closed the procession with Master Nips mounted on the patient Flora. We crossed Flamingo Marsh, and there my wife was charmed with the richness of the vegetation and the lofty trees. Fritz left us, thinking this a favourable spot for game. We soon heard the report of his gun, and an enormous bird fell a few paces from us. I ran to assist him, as he had much difficulty in securing his prize, which was only wounded in the wing, 
and was defending itself vigorously with its beak and claws. I threw a handkerchief over its head, and, confused by the darkness, I had no difficulty in binding it, and conveying it in triumph to the sledge. We were all in raptures at the sight of this beautiful creature, which Ernest pronounced to be a female of the Bustard tribe. My wife hoped that the bird might be domesticated among our poultry, and, attracting some more of its species, might enlarge our stock of useful fowls. We soon arrived at the wood of monkeys, as we called it, where we had obtained our coconuts, and Fritz related the laughable scene of the stratagem to his mother and brothers. Ernest looked up wistfully at the nuts, but there were no monkeys to throw them down. "'Do they never fall from the trees?' and hardly had he spoken, when a large coconut fell at his feet, succeeded by a second, to my great astonishment, for I saw no animal in the tree, and I was convinced the nuts in the half-ripe state as these were could not fall of themselves. "'It is exactly like a fairy-tale,' said Ernest. "'I only had to speak, and my wish was accomplished.' "'And here comes the magician,' said I, as, after a shower of nuts, I saw a huge land-crab descending the tree quietly, and quite regardless of our presence. Jack boldly struck a blow at him, but missed, and the animal, opening its enormous claws, made up to its opponent, who fled in terror. But the laughter of his brothers made him ashamed, and, recalling his courage, he pulled off his coat and threw it over the back of the crab. This checked its movements, and, going to his assistance, I killed it with a blow of my hatchet. They all crowded round the frightful animal, anxious to know what it was. I told them it was a land-crab, which we might call the coconut-crab, as we owed such a store to it. Being unable to break the shell of the nut, of which they are very fond, they climb the tree and break them off in the unripe state. They then descend to enjoy their feast, which they obtain by inserting their claw through the small holes in the end, and abstracting the contents. They sometimes find them broken by the fall, when they can eat them at pleasure. The hideousness of the animal, and the mingled terror and bravery of Jack, gave us subject of conversation for some time. We placed our booty on the sledge, and continued to go on through the wood. Our path became every instant more intricate, from the amazing quantity of creeping plants which choked the way, and obliged us to use the axe continually. The heat was excessive, and we got on slowly, when Ernest, always observing, and who was a little behind us, cried out, HALT! A NEW AND IMPORTANT DISCOVERY! We returned, and he showed us that from the stalk of one of the creepers we had cut with our axe there was issuing clear, pure water. It was the Lyon Rouge, which in America furnishes the hunters such a precious resource against thirst. Ernest was much pleased. He filled a coconut cup with the water, which flowed from the cut stalks like a fountain, and carried it to his mother, assuring her she might drink fearlessly, and we all had the comfort of allaying our thirst, and blessing the gracious hand, who has placed this refreshing plant in the midst of the dry wilderness for the benefit of man. We now marched on with more vigour, and soon arrived at the gourd wood where my wife and younger sons beheld with wonder the growth of this remarkable fruit. Fritz repeated all the history of our former attempts, 
and cut some gourds to make his mother some egg-baskets, and a large spoon to cream the milk. But we first sat down under the shade, and took some refreshment, and afterwards, while we all worked at making baskets, bowls, and flasks, Ernest, who had no taste for such labour, explored the wood. Suddenly we saw him running to us in great terror, crying, A wild boar! Papa, a great wild boar! Fritz and I seized our guns, and ran to the spot he pointed out, the dogs preceding us. We soon heard barking and loud grunting, which proved the combat had begun, and hoping for a good prize, we hastened forward, when what was our vexation, when we found the dogs holding by the ears not a wild boar, but our own great sow, whose wild and intractable disposition had induced her to leave us and live in the woods. We could not but laugh at our disappointment, after a while, and I made the dogs release the poor sow, who immediately resumed her feast on a small fruit, which had fallen from the trees and scattered on the ground, and had evidently tempted the voracious beast to this part. I took up one of these apples, which somewhat resembled a medlar, and, opening it, I found the contents of a rich and juicy nature, but did not venture to taste it till we had put it to the usual test. We collected a quantity. I even broke a loaded branch from the tree, and we returned to our party. Master Nips no sooner saw them than he seized on some, and crunched them up with great enjoyment. This satisfied me that the fruit was wholesome, and we regaled ourselves with some. My wife was especially delighted when I told her that this must be the guava, from which the delicious jelly is obtained, so much prized in America. "'But with all this,' said Fritz, "'we have a poor show of game. Do let us leave Mamma with the young ones, and set off to see what we can meet with.' I consented, and we left Ernest with his mother and Francis, Jack wishing to accompany us. We made towards the rocks at the right hand, and Jack preceded us a little, when he startled us by crying out, "'A crocodile, papa! A crocodile!' "'You simpleton!' said I. "'A crocodile in a place where there's not a drop of water!' "'Papa, I see it!' said the poor child, his eyes fixed on one spot. It is there on this rock sleeping. I am sure it is a crocodile." As soon as I was near enough to distinguish it, I assured him his crocodile was a very harmless lizard called the iguana, whose eggs and flesh were excellent food. Fritz would immediately have shot at this frightful creature, which was about five feet in length. I showed him that his scaly coat rendered such an attempt useless. I then cut a strong stick and a light wand. To the end of the former I attached a cord with a noose. This I held in my right hand, keeping the wand in my left. I approached softly, whistling. The animal awoke, apparently listening with pleasure. I drew nearer, tickling him gently with the wand. He lifted up his head, and opened his formidable jaws. I then dexterously threw the noose around his neck, drew it, and jumping on his back, by the aid of my sons, held him down, though he succeeded in giving Jack a desperate blow with his tail. Then, plunging my wand up his nostrils, a few drops of blood came, and he died apparently without pain. We now carried off our game. I took him on my back, holding him by the foreclaws, 
while my boys carried the tail behind me, and with shouts of laughter the procession returned to the sledge. Poor little Francis was in great dismay when he saw the terrible monster we brought, and began to cry. But we rallied him out of his cowardice, and his mother, satisfied with our exploits, begged to return home. As the sledge was heavily laden, we decided to leave it till the next day, placing on the ass the iguana, the crab, our gourd vessels, and a bag of the guavas, little Francis also being mounted. The bustard we loosed, and, securing it by a string tied to one of its legs, led it with us. We arrived at home in good time. My wife prepared part of the iguana for supper, which was pronounced excellent. The crab was rejected as tough and tasteless. Our new utensils were then tried, the egg-baskets and the milk-bowls, and Fritz was charged to dig a hole in the earth, to be covered with boards, and serve as a dairy, till something better was thought of. Finally we ascended our leafy abode, and slept in peace. End of chapter.